You see, the same man who rose from the grave is still doing miracles today. He's still the provider. He's still all-powerful. He's still the healer. He's still the forgiver. He is still the protector. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the King of Kings. He's still the life giver. He is the grave robber. Well, I'll never forget the time that my twin brother and I thought that my grandpa had supernatural power. We were probably nine or 10 years old, uh, riding in a car with him in Rapid City, South Dakota, running some errands. We came to a, a red traffic light, and my grandpa looked at my brother and I and said, did you know I have the power in my fingers to change this light? Uh, first, we didn't believe him, obviously. We thought it was another pull-my-finger joke, which it wasn't. But we was like, okay, sh show us. And sure enough, we're at the red light, and he does this. He does, bang, and the light turns green. Our eyes got real big. We looked like, no way! How'd you do that, Grandpa? Like, do it again. Like, we still didn't believe. So we came to a, another red light, and, man, we're watching the light like hawks, man. We're not, gonna, we're not even going to blink, and he does it again, Bang, the light turns green. And we're like, how'd you do that? <laughs> like, surely you don't have the power to change the traffic light. Grandpa, do it again. How'd you do it? He, he laughed with satisfaction. I told you I have power in my fingers to change the, the traffic light. We come to the third red light. And man, we're, we are not taking our eyes off. We are locked on this time. And sure enough, bang, the light turns green. Blown away. Now, everyone in the room realizes what was happening, right? Like, while we were locked on to the light in front of us, my grandpa was watching the light to the side. And when that light turned, green, uh, turned red, he would go, bang, and the light would turn green. Now, I don't remember how old I was when I finally figured out what my grandpa was doing. All I remember is I wanted to do this with my own children, and I did. Right here in Cheyenne, had all the kids in the car. Our oldest uh, uh, child, Jonah, was probably around the same age I would have been when this happened. I came to a red light, thought, now's my time. So I, I told my kids, do you know I have the power in my fingers to change this light? They're all like, you do? And they're just like, they're locked on to the, to the light. And I'm waiting for the moment. I'm watching the light over here. It turns red, timed it perfectly. Bang, light turns green. We start driving, and I think, now they're going to think I am absolutely amazing, best dad in the world. I have supernatural power when our son mockingly said to me, you didn't change the light. You were watching the one on the side. <laughs> so I grounded him for a week. <laughs> Just kidding. I didn't do that. My kids were not impressed with my apparent ability to change the light. But my brother and I, man, we were convinced my grandpa had supernatural power. We have the coolest grandpa in the whole world. Can you imagine what the responses must have been like when Jesus did the things he did? When Jesus changed the molecular structure of water and turned it into wine? When he gave sight to the blind, when, when he made the paralyzed rise up in strength and walk, when he brought dead people back to life, can you imagine what the responses must have been? And, and if those things really did happen, what does that mean for us today? How's it applied to my life today? 
It's those things and more that we're going to be talking about in this series that we're starting today. It will go all the way through Easter Sunday. The series is called Grave Robber, and I am thrilled uh, for this series. As I told you earlier in the service, my name is Jeff Manis. Uh, I am the lead pastor here, and uh, apparently my brother and I are either extremely gullible or very stupid, maybe both. I'll let you decide. Uh, Either way, whatever you decide, uh, I'm thrilled that all of you are here today, both in the auditorium and people who are joining us uh, on video somewhere. Thanks so much for being here as well. How many miracles do you think Jesus performed? Dozens? Hundreds? Thousands of miracles? Well, John, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, he wrote an eyewitness account to the life of Jesus. And from his eyewitness account, he says this. We call it the Gospel of John in the Bible. Uh, In John 21, 25, he said this. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. And awesome. And yet, John only records seven miracles that Jesus did prior to his resurrection. Only seven. Like if all the things he did could not even fit into the world's books, and John chose seven, they must be incredibly significant things, right? To choose those seven? So why did he choose them? Why the seven? That we're we're gonna look at every single one of them in the series. Well, I, I think he kind of tells us the reason why uh, also in his, his letter, John 20, 30 and 31, he said this, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these, these seven, the ones we're looking at, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, literally God in the flesh, and that by believing in him, you will have Life. Help me out and say life, would you? By believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. That's part of our vision here at Element. We exist to, to help guide people to experience life, to get connected, and to make a lasting Impact. Now, you might be here today, and, and you don't believe in Jesus as your Savior, uh, or, or maybe you question all of these miracles. Are they actually true? And if they are true, what does that have to do with me? How does that apply to, to my life? Those are great questions that I hope we will help answer as we walk through this series. And even if you don't ever believe what we do about Jesus or about his miracles, uh, you will be loved and welcomed here, uh, regardless of what you Believe, but let's just say that these miracles are true. Let's say they actually did happen. What do they mean for us today? Have you you ever wondered how did Jesus do these miracles? Like this, if these miracles are true, it's clearly more than a parlor trick, pretending to change a traffic light by watching the other one. Like dead back to life. You can't watch a traffic light to time that one out. You're either dead or you're alive, right? Jesus pulled that off. Look at what Matthew said. Matthew, also one of the 12 disciples, so this is his eyewitness account to the life of Jesus. He says this in Matthew 8, 16. I love this verse. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. 
That phrase, by the way, simple command, literally means with a word or a statement. With one word or, or one statement, he cast out demons and healed the sick. What was the word? Shazam? I don't know. Like, did he say, out, and the demons come out? Healed, and you're healed. Or did he go Oprah style? You get a healing, you get a healing, you get a healing, you get a healing, and everybody gets healed. I don't know. That's how I read the Bible, by the way. Not Oprah style, but that's how I read the Bible. Like in, this, in the series, we're going to look at all seven accounts from the Gospel of John that we would call miraculous events. The, the, the things we're going to witness Jesus do are things that we would say are impossible. They're, they're difficult. They're, they're hard to do. But as we go through every one of these miracles, I pray you'll come back every single week. I don't think you'll regret it. As we go through every one, Matthew 8, 16 needs to remain in our minds as we read these miracles that not only is nothing too hard for Jesus, nothing's even remotely hard for Jesus. With a word, he healed all the sick. When, when, when Jesus performs miracles, he doesn't even break a sweat. He, he doesn't even try. It's not miraculous to Jesus. It's commonplace for him. It's not like, you know, with some miracles, he works really, really hard. And with other miracles, he doesn't really work that hard. There is no easy or hard for Jesus. It's just who he is. He's God in the flesh. Like, we can't wrap our puny little brains uh, around this. We're so limited in our humanness by what is possible and impossible. But with Jesus, nothing is impossible. Nothing. And as awesome as that is to think about, I think this is even better. It's our big idea for today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. It's this. No need is too big for Jesus, but no need is too small for him either. Hello. Like, whatever your need is, no need is too big. He's God. But no need is too small, even though he's God. That, that Jesus is the God of the immense and the intimate. He is the God of the magnificent and the things that we would call menial that if it matters to you, it matters to Jesus because you matter to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That should change how we respond to him whenever that we are in need. That no matter how big and no matter how small our need is, here's the question I think we've got to answer then. Well, how should I respond when I'm in need? How should I respond? If it's not too big or too small, how should I respond? Main scripture, John 2, verses 1 through 11. John is the fourth book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. All four of those, those books in the New Testament, the first four, we call them gospels. They are eyewitness accounts 
to Jesus' life. All of the scripture will be on the screens today, so if you don't have a Bible, no problem. But if you don't own a Bible, please don't leave without one. We do believe the Bible is the word of God, and we want you to read these things on your own, so we'd encourage you to, to ask for one at the Next Steps wall or guest services. We also have some, some John Bible reading plans available at the Next Steps wall. Uh, we, we built, we created a, a seven-week Bible reading plan in the Gospel of John. So each week there are five readings from John that are pretty short. And if you follow this reading plan, you will read all of the Gospel of John by the end of the series, which means you'll read every miracle that we're talking about as well. Some of the weeks you'll read about the miracle before we preach on it. Uh, it doesn't all time out that way, but some of them do. Uh, we're going to read all of John 2, 1 through 11. It's going to take us a little bit of time. I'm going to stop along the way and make some comments and some explanations. And then we're going to see uh, three ways I think we should respond when we're in need. John 2 starting in verse 1, says this. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. This is important to know. In this culture, a wedding celebration would last for several days, sometimes up to a week. Ain't no party like a Jewish wedding party. <laughs> Everyone in town, I just embarrassed my whole family. Everyone in town uh, would, would participate in this, in this uh, wedding celebration, and families would wear their wedding celebrations with pride. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now, in the original language, I didn't know this when I, when I, before I, I studied for this message, uh, but if you, if you didn't if you didn't know, the original language seems to indicate that they were getting low on wine or about to run out, coming to the end of the supply. Either way, whether they were already out or coming, getting close to running out, this was a major faux pas in, in, this, in this culture. One of the theologians I read said this, such a mistake, running out of wine, such a mistake would be a most disgraceful calamity in this culture. You'd never live it down. So what was Mary suggesting when she said there's no more wine? Was she suggesting to Jesus that he perform a miracle? Or was she just informing him, hey, they're about out of, out of wine? Spoiler alert, if you don't, haven't realized, we're about to witness the very first miracle in the ministry of, of Jesus. He's going to turn water into, into wine. But was this his first miracle ever? Ever thought about that? Had Mary, his mother, already seen miracle-working power displayed in his life that caused her to ask for one here? I don't, I don't know, but have you ever wondered if Jesus, like, like if I was eight years old and had the power to do miracles, I'd be chucking them out like crazy, man. <laughs> like, did, did Mary see, see Jesus, like, run across the top of the water at the Jordan River when they were playing one day? I don't know. Did she run out of flour one day and she said, hey, Jesus, can you go to the market for some flour? And Jesus from the back room says, check again, mom. <laughs> and flour appears. Did he, did he snap his fingers to clean up his plate? I, I don't know. But by the response of Jesus, it does seem like Mary was asking for a miracle. Just by his response, verse 4, dear woman, which by the way is a term of endearment. It's not an angsty teenager. Dear woman... That's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Time for what? To reveal his power and glory? 
to reveal who he is? There is some debate among theologians as to what Jesus means here. As I already said, he does, in the next few moments, he reveals his power. He reveals his his glory. He reveals who he is by turning water into wine. So it probably doesn't mean that. He probably does not mean uh, it's not time for me to reveal my glory because he's about to do that. One theologian suggested it might mean that he was literally waiting for the wine barrels to be bone dry, thus requiring a miracle and leaving no suspicion of anything in the jars. Waiting to the last possible moment and then invading the scene. I love how Mark Batterson puts it in his book called The Grave Robber. We have some books available in the store. Um, the, the series is not necessarily like tracking along with everything in the book, but this book was a tremendous help in preparing for the series. I would highly recommend it. But Mark Batterson said this, everyone wants a miracle, but here's the catch. No one wants to be in a situation that necessitates one. Of course, you can't have one without the other. So maybe Jesus was literally waiting till a miracle was required to move in, verse 5. So he tells his mother, this is not my problem. But his mother told the servants, just do whatever he tells you, like any good mom, right? I don't care what you say, I'm doing my own thing. Standing nearby were six stone jar, water jars used for cer- Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. So if you just split the difference at 25 gallons per jar, that would be 150 gallons of water. These, these jars were used for Jewish ceremonial cleansing. So Jewish people always had these jars in their home. They would use them for their ceremonial cleansing of the hands before they ate, for washing the feet of guests, and oftentimes for the full uh, uh, cleansing baths that they would do as a part of the old covenant system that God had created that Jesus was coming then to fulfill. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. <laughs> Can you imagine being one of these servants? Like, you dip some out, and you're walking to the master of ceremonies, like, dude, we cannot tell him that this is out of the ceremonial cleansing jars. Like, we are going to lose our job. Here, here you go. They did it, right? When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where to come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. If each jar had 25 gallons of wine in it, that's the equivalent to 757 standard bottles of wine today. That's a lot of stinking wine, right? So I think what Jesus is showing us here is that not only does he provide the best, he provides an abundance. That's the missing thing we don't often see here. Verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Isn't that awesome? As Mark Batterson again says in his book, this first miracle was not about saving a life, it was about saving face. He was literally protecting this couple from disgrace for running out of wine. 
at their wedding, which fits perfectly with our big idea that no needs too big for Jesus, but no needs too small either. So how should I respond when I'm in need? The first thing I see is this. I've got to come to Jesus first. Come to Jesus first. I, I was struck in preparing for this message by Mary's response to the shortage of wine. Like she did not go to the master of ceremonies who was in charge of the party. She did not go to the parents of the bride or groom who probably paid for the party. She didn't even go to the bride and groom. There was a need and she went straight to Jesus. Something I want to challenge us to eliminate from our vocabulary as Christians. Something I've been guilty of saying before too, but we should eliminate this from our vocabulary. Here's what it is. Well, all we can do now is pray. As if prayer is our last resort. You see, when we are in need, prayer should not be our last resort. It is our first and ongoing resort that we come to Jesus. And it doesn't mean that we will always come to Jesus first and then we just sit back and get to watch him do a miracle on our behalf. In, in, in almost every miracle in the Gospel of John, Jesus worked in concert with the efforts of others. You realize that? Like here we see the servants doing what Jesus said. And as they do it, a miracle happens. Scripture does not tell us when the water turned to wine. I wonder if it turned to wine as they were carrying it. Because they were being obedient to what Jesus said. Like can you imagine the stories these servants had for the rest of their life? Like someone brings up years later, did you hear about when Jesus turned water into wine? Like, hear about it. I was there, bro. Like I, I dipped the water out and I was walking. I'm thinking I'm going to get fired. I watched that and I watched it turn colors in the ladle. Were there other servants that didn't obey and they missed out on the miracle? Because they weren't willing to do what Jesus said? Like here, here's some, this is a side note. But here's something that stands out to me. Jesus doesn't have to use other people. He chooses to. Like, I, I, am, I am humbled by this every single week. Jesus does not have to use me to preach the gospel. He chooses me to. And in the process, I get to partner with, with the miracle maker to see miracles happen. Like, we're, we're in the middle of a volunteer, a couple times a year, we, we push for more volunteers because we're, we're always in need of people using their time and their talent to serve God and others in, in the church. And you need to understand something, that when you, for, for our volunteers, you guys are amazing. Whenever you serve in the church, you are a part, a part of every miracle that God, God does here. You understand miracles happen every week here? Like for 12 and a half years, every single week, there are sins that are forgiven, lives that are changed, marriages are restored, addicts are set free every single week. And when you serve, you're a part of that. You're, you're witnessing water turned to wine, and yet there are some Christians who don't want to be a part of it. And you're missing out on miracles, friends. And I just challenge you, if you're here today, you're a Christian, and you call Element Church your home, and you are not currently serving God in this church, it's time. It's time. We'll find a way for you to serve. We will. That fits your schedule. But it's time, because I don't want you missing out on stories, like maybe some of these servants did.
So they, they dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies, and it turns to wine. So that was a side note, back on to the message. I wonder sometimes if we're waiting on Jesus to do what we've asked him to do, all the while we aren't willing to do what he asked in return. No need's too big for Jesus, but no need's too small either. So what should I do when I'm in need? How should I respond? Well, come to Jesus first, then do what he says. Number two is this, continue to have faith. Continue to have faith. I'm focusing on Mary here today. The second thing that stood out to be about Mary in this was the faith she had in Jesus. Not just the faith that Jesus could do something about it, but it appears to me she had a faith that no matter what he did, it would be right, it would be best, and it would be good. Hello. Notice she didn't tell Jesus what to do. She didn't make a suggestion. She just informed Jesus of the need and then told the servants, just do whatever he tells you. And when he chose to use the Jewish ceremonial washing jars, she didn't question his methods. Oh, Jesus, hold on, hold on, hold on, Jesus. You may not know, those are ceremonial Jewish cleansing jars. You can't meet the need that way. Here's what I was thinking. Is that not what we do? Jesus, I have a need. And then Jesus begins to work in different ways than we thought he would. And we're like, whoa, 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 Jesus. That's not what I was talking about. I want you to do it this way. As if we know better than God himself. <laughs> her action showed her faith. She, she trusted that he would do what was right, best, and good. I believe, doesn't say this, this is conjecture, I believe if Jesus would have done nothing, Mary would have still had faith. She would still trusted Jesus. Just do whatever he tells you. So if Jesus told them nothing, she trusted that he was somehow doing the right thing. And I never saw this before either, but I think it's so important. It doesn't even appear that this couple who was getting married was even aware they ran out of wine or that Jesus made new wine. The master of ceremonies calls them over and, and says, hey, we normally serve the best wine first, but you brought out the best now. And I, I can just see the, 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 the groom going like, I don't know. Here's what that tells me. Jesus does miracles for us that we can't even see. He does miracles for us that we don't even know to ask for because we're not even aware. He provides for, for needs that, that, that we don't even know exist yet. Why? Because he's good. He's faithful. He can be trusted. Listen, when, when you trust that Jesus will, will do what is best with the needs you already know about, you will also be able to trust that he will do what is best with the needs you can't even see. That, that's what we sang about earlier, by the way, in the song Waymaker. It's one of my favorite songs right now. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Do we believe that today? Do we believe that Jesus is working in ways we will maybe never see or understand, but we can trust it's good and he is good, that, 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 that he does what is right and best? Listen, your needs, your needs, no matter how big or no matter how small, 
will always feel overwhelming until you get to that place of trust. That, Jesus, we're out of wine. But I'll do whatever you say. And whatever you do, I trust you. Even if you do nothing, I trust you. No need's too big for Jesus, but no need's too small either. So how should I respond when I'm in need? I gotta come to Jesus first, then do what he says. I'm gonna continue to, to have faith. And then number three is this, commit to following him. Commit to follow him. After this miracle, we read that John says the disciples believed in Jesus. And then the next verse we didn't read, verse 12, you can read it for, on your own, though. It says, then Mary and the disciples followed Jesus to Capernaum. They went on to the next town. So they, they believed, but they also followed him. And, and I, know, I know you might say, well, yeah. I mean, if Jesus turned water into wine, I believe too. Like, like if Jesus did that, I'd follow. I'd go. If he did that, all right. Christina, can you run and get me a cup of water? Just from Volta Central, just turn the faucet on, bring a cup of water. We're gonna ask God for a miracle today. We're gonna ask God to do the impossible right here in our service. Some of you are like, where is he going? <laughs> I'm nervous. Don't answer this out loud, but what if I told you that you're gonna see someone's prayer answered right before your eyes today? What if I told you you're going to see a miracle? Don't, don't answer out loud. Don't raise your hand. But if you saw a miracle, uh, an answer prayer right before your eyes, would you commit to follow Jesus? Thank you. You ready? I'm not praying for this to be wine, by the way. <laughs> Some of you are like, Whoa. I mean, we got faith, but I don't know about how much. Boy, is crazy. <laughs> uh, Christina, this water came out of the tap, right? You just walked into the next room, turned on the faucet, you got water. Positive? I know you like practical jokes, so you didn't dip this in toilet water, did you? Yeah, she's like, ah. It's, it's, it's safe to drink is what I'm asking. We in Cheyenne walk into a room, turn on a faucet, and we just expect there to be clean water that comes out. Don't even think about it. But did you know, did you know that, that today there are 2.1 billion people who lack access to safe water in the world? 3.4 million people every year die due to some kind of water crisis. Right now, somewhere in the world, someone is praying to Jesus that they would get access to safe, clean drinking water. Last week, I asked everyone to bring a dollar to church today to give away. I said, everyone to bring a, a, a dollar. Each week in the series, we're going to be doing something like this. We're going to be like the servants in the story. And we're going to partner with Jesus to do our part in providing a miracle for someone else. There's a, a, an organization out there called Water 4. It's a worldwide faith-based organization that is helping to provide access to clean, safe drinking water around the world in Jesus' name. Before I explain what we're doing uh, with this, I want you to go ahead and check out this short video from Water 4.
empowerment. It's what we do. It's who we are. What sets us apart. Empowerment. Because at Water 4, we know ending the global water crisis takes more than wells. It takes people. Empowered people. Who dedicate their lives to ending the senseless death that comes from this preventable crisis. It's not about us. Not about our name, our brand. It's about raising up business leaders who can combat the crisis head on in their own country. Teach a man to fish? No, how about we teach a man to dig deep into the soil and pump safe water into a community for the very first time? How about we come alongside a local enterprise so they can maintain the pumps and keep the water running for years to come? How about we teach an entrepreneur to run their own business, supplying that water to neighbors around them? How about we change the face of a continent, one community, one district, one region at a time through sustainable, reliable solutions? Water 4 isn't some fly-by-night feel-good activism group. We're not just another charity talking about the issue. We're in the trenches every day with our partners ensuring this crisis will be eradicated in our lifetime. And to make sure that happens, we fight with fire. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we refuse to live in a broken world where those around us live in hopelessness and poverty. We see bringing water into a community as a spiritual act. We don't thump Bibles, we pump water. And in doing so, we earn the right to share the living water as well. For just $2,700, Water 4 partners with a local community in an underserved area of the world to not only install a fresh water well, but then teach the leaders of that community how to maintain it, thus enabling an entire village to have access to safe, clean water for the very first time ever. The, the one brief video you saw of people starting to like cheer, that was the first time they saw clean drinking water in their village. You can look up online, Water 4, the number four on YouTube, and you can see a, a lengthy video of, of different villages celebrating when water comes out for the very first time. So today, we have committed from our outreach budget here at Element to match every dollar up to $1,500 given. It would be about, if we're, you know, 1,500 people were here today, if we all gave a dollar, we'll match 1,500. That would give us $3,000, which means we would provide a well for a village. We partnered with uh, Water 4. They gave us three areas to choose from. We chose to put a well in a village in Ethiopia. By giving $1, we are going to answer someone's prayer today. By giving $1, we are gonna provide a miracle for a village far more valuable than turning water into wine. For just one dollar, we're gonna live out a part of our vision of making a lasting impact for one stinking dollar. Some of you are like, oh crap, I forgot to bring my dollar. You can give it at any time for the rest of the day. So go get some cash somewhere. Go to the ATM, go to loaf and jug and put in your pin number, buy one soda and ask for some cash back. I don't care how you do it, but we'll, it'll, you can give it the rest of the day. You can give in the baskets at the door or in the red heart out in the lobby. Do not put the offering for the water in the boxes on the wall. 
that goes to our regular offering. Only in the baskets or the heart, and this will go towards uh, the, this water project. If you're a guest today and you didn't know about this, you can actually just fill out our digital connection card. And if you do that, we will make a $5 donation in your name to this water project just by filling out the connection card. I don't know if we had that for the screens or not. Um, if we had that connection card, throw it up there. It was on the screens earlier. Of course, you can give more than a dollar. You can give more. I'm going to give $30 today for our family, $5 for every uh, member of our, of our family. Anything beyond the 3000 is going to just keep on going towards the project. So if we have $6,000, we'll do two wells. Just yesterday, a friend of mine who does not live in Cheyenne does not come to Element Church. He's a believer, but he saw me on social media posting about this dollar challenge. He's like, hey, man, what's up with this dollar thing you're doing? So I was telling him about it just via text, and he said, uh, my wife and I, uh, we want to give $1,000 a week for seven weeks for every miracle. They're giving $7,000. They didn't even come to our church. They're just inspired by what we're doing. This fits perfectly, by the way, which we, we, we can't take digital donations. We just can't. Because if you give $1 on our digital platform, it costs us more money to process that dollar than what you gave. So we would lose money. So cash or check only. If you're old like me and you use a check, uh, <laughs> uh, put a water project on the memo and you can give that way. This fits, fits perfectly with the scripture that I challenged our church to memorize this month. We're trying to memorize scripture every single month. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says this, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We even belong to Christians in Ethiopia who might be praying for access to clean drinking water, and we're going to give them that. We belong to my friend who doesn't even live here or attend here, but just feels like he wants to be a part of it. We belong to each other, and we're going to make an impact. Jesus is still the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, Grave robbing God today. He's still that God. And we're going to partner with him for a miracle. One last quote I want to share with you that kind of ties this all together from Mark Batterson's book, Grave Robber. He, he points out the, the tie-in between the first miracle and then the last miracle, Christ's death and resurrection. It says this, the first miracle foreshadows the last at the wedding in Cana, Jesus turned water into wine. At the Last Supper, Jesus raised a cup of wine and said, This is my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. On the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus turned an ordinary cup of wine into a bottomless glass of grace. He transformed the fruit of the vine into the agent of forgiveness for every sin ever committed from Adam to the apocalypse. Wow. Wow. And why did he do that? For you. Poured out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. If you want to know more about what it means to receive forgiveness, I'd love to talk to you. A prayer team member all the way in the back. After we're done, we'd love to talk to you. If you need prayer for anything, by the way, stop back there at the purple tent. A prayer team member will pray for you for whatever you got going on. If you're new here as well, please stop by the living room before you go. Let me pray for you guys. I need to stop talking, and we'll get you out of here. Lord, you're so good. Lord, I thank you. 
you don't have to use us, but you choose to. And so I'm, I'm giving my $30 today, and I'm asking you to, to make it a part of a bigger body that will meet a, a miracle need for some village in Ethiopia. And Lord, we'll never know them, we'll never see them, and at least until eternity when, if they know you. But Lord, we're, we're just gonna, we're gonna partner with you. The miracle-making God. Thank you, Lord, for the bottomless glass of grace that you gave us. In Jesus' name, amen.